Hello and welcome to the Mancheck Chit Chat on this Thin Fried Friday. Today we, we are joined by my friend Fred Harley from Republic Distribution Company. Hi Fred and uh, welcome here at Middendorf's. Well hello there Horst, how are you doing? I'm doing great, seems like you have a little bit of a rough day. Yeah, well look I'm, I'm glad to be out here, it's always, uh, it always picks my spirits up, you know, to come out here in this swamp and uh, enjoy wonderful food. Well, spirits, let's talk about it. Uh, Fred's uh, is in the distribution of uh, beverage, uh, what we all love. Uh, tell us about a little bit about your favorite drink and how we choose them, and tell us about bartending and the whole thing, since you're involved in New Orleans in all the cocktail, cocktail mixing and the fancy name. What do they call them now? Mixiologists? Or? Mixologists, yes, mixologists. And they, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a, a certain and distinct uh, distinction between uh, a regular bartender and a mixologist. A mixologist becomes uh, much more creative and uh, understands the chemical uh, composition of creating a drink. And uh, so that, uh, that uh, is uh, valuable in what I do because I do so many events here in the city. So I put on most of the events for all of our suppliers at Republic and uh, also all the events uh, from the uh, Gold Ring Family Foundation. So I get an opportunity to not only hire a lot of uh, bartenders slash mixologists, but I get the opportunity to taste their cocktails. So that's giving me a great uh, understanding of the differences, uh, categories of drinks, and uh, my preference. You know that since you talk about drinks, uh, the last couple of years there started in New Orleans. It's known for, you know, uh, cocktails and everything. And many names are invented. <laughs> cocktails are invented in, in New Orleans. The Sazerac and, right? And that is for sure. A number of them. And right. now we bring all the, the bartenders and mixologists from around the world to New Orleans once a year for Tales of the Cocktail. Yep. What is a big, big event. And, you know, you said earlier they understand the chemicals. Well, I thought a, a cocktail was mainly a distilled, but... Uh, when you talk about chemicals, they're talking about putting herbs and spices in different flavors. It's a flavor. You have to have a very clean palate, like being a chef when you cook something. Correct, correct. And it's, it's, it's a situation where they're, they're balancing uh, sweet, uh, bitter. Uh, they're taking all of those tastes that are on your tongue, and they're trying to balance that for a wonderful, smooth cocktail. What so. is your favorite cocktail? Well, I think uh, cocktail-wise, it would have to come down to tequila for me. Uh, my but preference tequila is, is just tequila. tequila still, but when you, what cocktails can you make out of tequila? Well, you, the, the two most famous, certainly, are a margarita and a paloma. What's and, a paloma? Uh, a paloma has grapefruit juice in it. So tequila and grapefruit juice? And lime. Okay. And so... Uh, Tequila comes in uh, uh, regular silver, a reposado, and yeho. And now, uh, just like most other categories of, of the spirit industry, uh, there's extra in yehos and extra, extra in yehos. Well, explain so, us, but you use these fancy words like, you know, reposado, yehos. What it, uh, describe it. Well, I know all, in cognac it's about are, the aging. Right, and that's basically all it is uh, for tequilas. Uh, uh, when you have a silver uh, tequila, it doesn't get any barrel age. Uh, a reposado uh, does get a, at least a year's of barrel age. And then an añejo goes two years and then can go longer. And so all it is is about barrel aging. 
I had one time, I don't know which in year it was, but it was a very expensive tequila and I realized how clean and delicious it tasted compared when you get a little bit of a, a house tequila, you know, where you want to get this feel of a headache the next day. But if you, <laughs> if you drink a nice one, it's like a cognac. It is definitely like a cognac. And uh, I think that's why they, uh, the tequila category as a whole within the industry has, uh, has taken off. And uh, so uh, certainly bodes well for Mexico because they're the only ones that are producing it. Uh, within that certain region of Mexico, and uh, which region is it from? Is it the Baja California? No, 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 no. It, it's now, of course, they pronounce it. I think the J is an H, right? Yeah. Jalisco. So I believe it's the Jalisco region of Mexico. Is that where te tequilas come from? And, uh, and 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 what's happening is that all the big uh, uh, spirit companies around the world are vying for. Uh, to purchase land, purchase brands uh, within that area because of the uh, excitement and uh, sales of tequila. Well, just to let people know, uh, the tequila is made from the agave. It's mm -hmm. like a gigantic cactus where they take, looks like a piñata uh, or like a pineapple top, and right. they take the outside leaves off, and the inside is this big ball, and uh, it's just a lot of starch, and then they're fermented, and they make the distill right. out so of it. So they cook it down, and then they ferment it, and... Uh, and there's, there's different processes uh, that they do, you know, just like uh, any category where you got the old-time artesian way and then you got the new modern uh, technology that uh, does it more efficiently. And, and uh, you know, there's always that debate whether uh, which one is truly authentic, but, uh, you know, certainly the tastes, either way you do it, uh, can be uh, very close to one another. So. You know, since you said this right now, you see it everywhere. Uh, the stuff where people cloning it or uh, authenticated. Uh, a few days ago, I saw one time in the morning news, they're talking about uh, replicas. Well, when people hear the word replicas, they'll think of uh, paintings and everything. But these guys, they bought an expensive bottle of wine, a Chateau Petrus, and then they bought all different other wines, and they replica this wine, you know, just mm -hmm. to let you listen. No, some of these wines, sometimes like a Chateau Petrus, cost probably $2,000 a bottle, a certain vintage. Now, they even right. buy a couple hundred dollar bottles of wine and blend it, you know, and they still can make some money, but they sell them now, I don't know where, but it was a news they started selling these replicas. Since back to your bartending, right. you used the word chemist and bartending, the same in the wine industry, people always want to taste, everything tastes the same, like even here at Middendorf, they would like to fish always the same. So right. it's not only cooking and distilling, it's all you have to Well, I remember constantly. when I uh, first got into the wine business, um, they gave me a chemical kit. And this chemical kit had like 30 different tastes specifically made that are the specific tastes of wine. And you can individualize those tastes. You can put that chemical whether it be vanilla, oak, uh, cassis, and put that in water, and it tastes like you're drinking wine. And so that's, what, that's how they can replicate these specific uh, wines, and for that matter, spirits, uh, chemically. That's crazy what they can do in this comedy. Scary. <laughs> it, is, it is scary when you look at what they're uh, doing there. But, I mean, they can come real, real close to all the products. They can come very so close. So your sure. favorite uh, so cocktail has to be made out of a tequila. I prefer tequila, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then probably it would go to uh, gin. 
next because uh, you know gin is uh, made with so many different uh, botanicals. Pickles, uh, botanicals, yeah. So I mean, it, it can be made up to like 24 uh, uh, different botanicals. I know Beef Eater Gin uh, has a uh, Beef Eater 24, and it, reason of 24 is because it's made with 24 different botanicals. And so you can you can create you can get a lot of different taste uh, variations uh, within gin. And I know like Hendrix Gin uh, like does cucumber. cucumber. They put cucumber but in cucumber it. Cucumber is not a, a botanical. It's a it's a vegetable. Correct, correct. But it's extremely popular and it's delicious. Yeah, it's wonderful. So wonderful. I have a cucumber salad before uh, think of cucumber salad. That's right. Uh, what uh, a classic spirit dinner pairing. Uh, is a cucumber salad with a Hendrix cocktail. Yeah? Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> okay, we have it for dinner tonight, a cucumber sa sandwich with a Hendrix <laughs> cocktail. There you go. And some of them uh, it taste, one time I smelled some of them that had like, uh, what are not juniper berries. What do they smell? Yeah, it's juniper berries. That's what's juniper in, berries in a lot well. of uh, uh, gin in there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different roots, a lot of different herbs. But right now, the real craze, or the last couple of years, and, uh, was, is all about whiskey and everything, right. and bourbon right. mainly, right? Mainly bourbon. Uh, bourbon has uh, taken off here in the United States, and I and think around it's, the world. Uh, it, it's driven probably from around the world. Uh, you got countries like China and India that are uh, drinking it up, and they want American original bourbon. Um, you know, that, uh, that has, has created somewhat of a shortage uh, in many companies, uh, especially the Sazerac company, uh, with uh, their popular bourbons like Buffalo Trace, Blanton's, and Eagle Rare, and uh, Elmer T. Lee, and of course, uh, the most sought after one, Pappy Van Winkle. How old are the, the Pappy Van Winkle? I mean, there's different ages. The oldest mm -hmm. one is like 25 years old? Well, they produced a 25 year old last year for the very first time. Uh, don't know whether or not it's going to be produced each and every year. It has not been produced this year at this point. So, uh, but uh, they did create a 25, but uh, traditionally it's been 23, 20, 15, 13, 12, and 10. And just to let people know, don't come uh, in, they're very rare. Uh, Fred probably could tell us that how many not cases, how many bottles they're selling in the state of Louisiana? How many do Well, we don't get a whole bunch. I'll say that. Uh, I, I'm not real sure specifically because I don't want to make anybody upset and mad that didn't get their specific allocation or require what, they, uh, uh, what they're asking for, but uh, it's not a lot. You know, um, if it's, uh, if it's uh, Well, I cases, didn't get my allocation. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't get, uh, we have to See, work on allocation. See, just as I suspected, you're just, uh, you're, you're, you're proving just what I said. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd also like to make mention, you know, you had mentioned earlier in regards to uh, uh, specific New Orleans uh, cocktails like the Sazerac cocktail, which was developed here, and many others, uh, like the Bucare cocktail uh, at the Carousel Bar at the Mont-Léon Hotel, the Grasshopper, at uh, Two Jacks, and the Obituary cocktail at uh, Lafitte's. The Sazerac Company has, uh, uh, has decided to put a Sazerac Museum on Canal Street, right next to the Sheraton uh, Hotel, and wow. they're going to feature a lot of uh, New Orleans um, specific uh, brands and cocktails. 
that have uh, been born here, uh, like Southern Comfort, like Peychaud, uh, Bitters, uh, and many others. So uh, that particular museum is going to be opened uh, looking like February of 2019 and should attract a worldwide uh, attention. To, uh, in what is it? Uh, can you sip cocktails there, taste? Is it like a tasting room? You or can taste. You can taste. There won't be selling any cocktails there, but uh, there'll be a museum on two floors, a, um, a merchandise floor, and event space. And uh, so you'll be able to throw parties at the uh, Sazerac house. So it'll Probably be Probably uh, with all exciting. the Sazerac brand, brands, I assume so. I do believe that will be an exclusive, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking to liquor and Well, so we talked about a lot of liquor and everything, but also you're doing a lot of wine events and everything. I mean, you're involved with everything. Yep, yep. There's uh, a tremendous amount of events uh, coming up, always in the social season uh, with wine. Uh, we at Republic National Distributing Company uh, do a... Uh, an in-house uh, trade tasting uh, for all of our still wines and an individual sparkling uh, trade tasting. But we also do a number of other big events that are wine-related, uh, like the Emeralds Boudin Bourbon and Beer and Carnival de Vin. Oh, it's coming up soon. It's yeah, we it's did it a couple of times, and it's a lot of fun. Yep. It is yep. a lot of fun. It's, uh, so. it's one of the best parties for sure in the city. You know, since you mm -hmm. talked about, uh, I brought up the wines and everything, what I noticed, you know, it's like fashion. People go into this, they're drinking this. Uh, I went to Rouse's a few days ago, and, you know, he used to make fun of me since I drink rosé in the summer, since I like something real crisp, light. Mm -hmm. I like the French rosés. But now I went in there a few days ago, and they have a shelf. They have at least 60, 70 rosés. Rosés have exploded on the market. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still with the French rosé since it's drier. Right. Uh, uh, compared to the California, they're a little bit too sweet, too rich for me and everything. Right. And just to let you know, most rosés, uh, it's not a white Zinfandel for people to let know. It's nothing sweet like this at all. Correct. Correct. And, Correct. Uh, but it's a great summer one. But now, it's, I mean, they're exploded. They're everywhere. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I uh, attribute that to uh, palate fatigue amongst people, you know, um, there was a white Zinfandel craze, you know, then there was a Chardonnay craze, Pinot Grigio, uh, Pinot Grigio craze, uh, Cabernet craze, and, uh, and, and I think that uh, people uh, and their palates, uh, they certainly have a preference, but I also think that uh, uh, just like anything within the, uh, the alcohol business, whether it's spirits or wine, uh, there's a uh, uh, different... Uh, different um, times and, and, and different trends and people like to stay up with the trends and sometimes even though if it's not a particular person's uh, uh, favorite they want to stay trendy they want to stay trendy and they'll jump I mean on we it. just know from the old days where James Bond when he stirred or shaken the martini that's what right. made the martini yeah, that's sometimes sure. just on a simple movie where you watch a movie can make a brand it's incredible I mean, there's so many out there like that. You know, the, um, the uh, uh, Kingsman, the English Kingsman series, uh, the Golden Circle and, and King, I forgot the name of the first Kingsman movie, but the second one was the Golden Circle, but the second one is where they uh, went to uh, the Statesman Old Forester Kentucky Bourbon Distillery. 
and that's where the Secret Service of the United States uh, was. In the and the it was taking, yeah, in the distillery. So it was taking. Uh, was it an undercover operation? Correct. It was an undercover operation, but it was uh, all, it, it was taking advantage of the bourbon trend. That's incredible. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, you know, it's 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 trendy, uh, and and you know, the wineries and distilleries are always looking for that next trend. And so they're, they're uh, attuned to it. And if you get two or three of the big boys uh, doing a particular style of wine or spirit. You better jump on the sure bandwagon. You better jump on the bandwagon. Yep. That's the way that shakes out. You know? so. Well, we talked a little bit spirits. Let's talk about Fred. Uh, and that's also why I hear, since Fred's uh, from New Orleans, but his grandfather mm -hmm. used to have some establishments in the French Quarter and is Italian heritage. And Correct. It was a perfect opportunity for my friend to come out here since we're starting our fettuccine frenzy. Uh, the, it's our fettuccine we home make here. And it used to be known uh, for Moran's Riverside and I took over Moran's and had these old machines and now uh, we turned it into Bella Luna. Me being German, call it Bella Luna, perfect German name. And so uh, we a lot of my customers asking me about the fettuccine always when they came out here, so we're starting it. But I thought the expert to talk about it would be Fred, since I can tell you when I make it, he's out here and picking them up and eating them. And even if he's on a diet, when I make fettuccine, he doesn't miss a bite. And I'm sure that uh, you have fettuccine today because I, That's why you I came told out. you I didn't, I didn't want any money, I just wanted fettuccine today, you know, and... Uh, but yes, I, um, uh, even though my uh, last name is not Italian, my mother was Italian. My grandfather was New Orleans' first world champion boxer, Peter Galata. Pete Herman was his uh, fighting name, but uh, he had one of the biggest nightclubs in the French Quarter. I grew up uh, on the top of it and uh, had an opportunity to go to just about every Italian restaurant in the city. And, um, you know, one of my go-to foods throughout my life has always been just pasta, pasta, olive oil, and garlic. I could eat that every day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Just about. Until I went to Bella Luna a number of years ago and had horses fettuccine. It's like popcorn, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> popcorn. <laughs> you just can't stop eating it. And I've since then, I've certainly had fettuccine in all the big Italian uh, restaurants uh, in the city, uh, whether it's Impostados, Andrea's, uh, the Italian Barrel, uh, Mosca's, and uh, you know, certainly not to diminish anybody's uh, uh, fettuccine Alfredo, but nobody, and I mean nobody, nobody. can make it uh, as thin, as light. It's at Middendorf's. At Middendorf's. <laughs> and, uh, the machine he uses, I do believe, has something to do with it. Well, to let you know, it's very labor-intensive to make the uh, uh, pasta. We have four gigantic machines next door, and we actually build a balcony so we, can't, we don't have to move them in case the water comes. You have one machine, you put 50 pounds of semolina in there and eight quarts of eggs, and you mix it. And it's real dry still, and then you compact it, and it's hard like a brick. And then we, so this was the second machine, it's like, compacts it together and then we roll it out paper thin and we roll it out German specific 
a half a millimeter thick. Now that's uh, less than a sixteenth, no less than a, it's a, I think it's a thirty-second of an inch. And then we fold it over, and we do this three times. So it takes a lot of time. And then we cut it, and then when we cut it, and then you can cook it. But this mud makes it, when you work the flour or the gluten kernels in the semolina, this way they don't expand anymore. When we cook our pasta and we have boiling water, and by the way, you can buy the pasta, you can buy the pasta in, uh, in our store with the cheese and everything, but uh, if you cook it in that boiling water, you only need it like for 10 seconds in there. After 10 seconds it comes to the top, you take it out, you put a little bit of butter, and the secret is also the cheese. Um, the cheese, you know, I try different cheeses, but in, if you have real uh, Parmesan Reggiano and you get a, a big piece and then you grate it, just to let you know, Parmesan Reggiano is, uh, is aged for 29 months. And so you do understand that outside the rind, the, the cheese dries out and the inside is moisture. So when you grate it all together and mix it, so you have the perfect humidity, the moisture in there. And then when you mix it, when we cook our pasta, we just put it in a bowl with a little bit of butter, no cream, no cream, just a little bit hot milk. And then we mix in the cheese and fresh pepper. It's all you need on our fettuccine Alfredo. Uh, if you make it like Fred, even we do it this year, we have, uh, we cooked some osabuco. Actually, I have to give some Fred some osabuco later on. We will be delicious. Uh, you know, osabuco is called one bone. It's the veal hindshank. And we just have a little bit of carrots and celery and onions and a little bit of osu, and you mix it in it. Now it's lighter since you don't have all this butter and everything in it, but it's delicious. It falls off the bone, the meat, it's white, nice, flaky meat, it's delicious. Well, I think that's interesting in regards back to so the, you know the, what you have for dinner the fettuccine, yeah. Uh, because certainly I love to cook, and, and, and I've, I make homemade pasta whenever I have the time, uh, but I believe this is, and, and I've tasted so many other people's homemade pasta. It takes, it takes a talent and skill. Even if you've got the machine, even if you have all the ingredients, not to certainly fill your bucket too much for us, but it takes that skill to know how to break uh, down the gluten and, and, and to work it and to have that texture exactly right where when I try to make it as thin as possible, it's breaking up like crazy. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I think that uh, uh, just because of the machines and, and, and the ingredients, you've got to have the skill uh, and that you do in, uh, in creating that. Well, pasta. back to, like you say, physics and chemistry and everything. You have to know how certain things work. Look, when I go grocery shopping, and I, love, I know you love to cook and everything. Like, you know, I never take a recipe and just go to the grocery store. I know what I'm hungry for, let's say I want a piece of meat, but then I walk in and I walk in the produce section and then it kind of falls together, what are you going to serve with it? Uh, yeah. Now, for back to one more time about making the fettuccine. If you have a little hand cranked machine, yes, you can go low, you can go thin, but your dough is a little bit softer, so you never get it as thin as ours. But you can make it, but you have to roll it three times down to the skinniest uh, sliver fold it over, run it through again. Then you maybe let it rest, since if you don't let it rest, it's kind of gets tough and harder for you. So if you wrap it in saran wrap and let it rest a little bit, and then the last time you roll it down, as thin as you can get it, and then you cut it, you will come close to ours, but 
still not there, but it will come close. Most people, when you go sometimes, when you buy pasta, or you go to some other Italian restaurant where they make the pasta in the front, you know, they just mix the dough and they squeeze it out a little like a yeah. sausage maker. This pasta will expand, it will get thicker, since the, the, the gluten, the little kernels are not as squished as ours. That's the I difference. Gotcha. It's still you. good pasta, but you know, if you had our fettuccine one time, you know what, what it's supposed to be. Uh, right. But it's very time consuming. Well, I'm sure of that, and, and uh, you know, uh, during this uh, fettuccine frenzy that you have, you know, I uh, I try to bring my uh, Italian marching club and uh, a number of my goombas out to celebrate. Uh, and I had mentioned uh, to you, Horst, a while back, is that um, uh, we've always had uh, a gentleman from uh, Mike's Deli in the Bronx come down when we have our parade on St. Joseph's Day in March. Uh, to make this pasta dish called pasta consorti. And so I'm going to put you to the test because <laughs> he's not going to be able to come down this year, and we're going to see if you can make pasta consorti for us uh, as good as his. Well, we so. would have to change my name. I don't think I can walk in there as a horse pfeiffer with an accent like this. We have to <laughs> kind of come up with a creative name. Huh? We can do that for you. I mean, if that's all we I'll have to do. I'll put a vowel at the end, of, and you'll be all right. So don't, don't, <laughs> don't worry, you know. So. Okay. Yep. Well, uh, Fred, when you eat pasta, I mean, I, I know you make it with olive oil. You know, like our fettuccine Alfredo, we call it, with the Parmesan cheese and everything. I like, like you know, a small portion of this sometimes. I love the carbonara with a, a raw egg and the pancetta bacon. I think it's delicious, and the pepper and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Also, when we, you know, I don't, just to let you know, when I eat, I like to be able to get up off the table and feel comfortable. Overeating, I, I just, it doesn't feel comfortable. You know, and I think that's one, uh, that's one point about fettuccine Alfredo is that so many recipes that I've seen on the internet and everything else, they ask for cream. No, don't use cream. And you don't really have to do it. No. You get enough fat in there with the Parmesan cheese. And if you put cream in dishes uh, with butter, with cheese, let me tell you, you'll pack on the pounds quickly. (laughs) Quickly. (laughs) So I I, I certainly, uh, yeah, I I know what you mean in regards to uh, that situation. And certainly uh, as as one gets older, uh, you have to... uh, Watch that waistline a little more, and uh, um, you know I, I like uh, uh, pasta with green peas and bacon cut up in it. Uh, you got to have that cheese to make those peas stick, stick. <laughs> <laughs> to the pasta, you know. And uh, so uh, pasta is delicious for sure. Uh, many different ways uh, that I like to cook it, and all. But uh, vegetables now at, at my particular age in the pasta uh, works uh, far better for me. Yeah. You know, uh, when you uh, talk about uh, the recipe of our pasta, what we like to eat and everything, now when you come down here uh, for our fettuccine frenzy, what's the whole month of September, every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we're doing it. We have different dishes with some crab meat, with some crawfish tails, with some chicken. Uh, we, we do a little bit of sabuco, some too, or plain, what is real delicious. And if you just still want the fish, what you do is just order a fettuccine, split it with your friends on the table as an appetizer, and then you still can eat your fish. But it's delicious. And if you want to, we have down in our little shop, 
you can pick it up with the Ratchiano. We have the Ratchiano cheese there and we have the fettuccine. Perfect portioned out for you to go home, cook it for uh, 15 seconds and then you can toss it. But Fred, since you just here in the liquor, you know what we totally forgot about here? We have to match some wines with our fettuccine. So we have to bring in some. Yeah, well, we certainly, uh, that's, that's a good idea. I want to sell you a whole bunch of wine for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'll say this in regards to that, uh, that uh, probably Italian wines, you know, they, they, they make a little more sense. And where uh, a fettuccine came from, the Tuscany and uh, the Roman uh, area within Italy, um, something uh, like a Chianti, uh, makes sense and uh, the, those Italian wines within the different regions uh, their alcohol level is uh, drinkable on a consistent basis uh, the acid level just seems to pair fantastically with food and so um, if, if, uh, if, if one comes out here for fettuccine frenzy uh, be expecting some fantastic fettuccine and some wonderful Italian wines <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, if there's anything, um, so besides cooking pasta, is there anything you like to cook? Well, I just, um, I, I mean, you cook and drink all the time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, you know, certainly I'm doing events probably four days out of the seven. Uh, I'm out uh, at least, and uh, so uh, I do, when I'm home, I like to cook and uh, nothing specific. I just like to cook fresh food. I'll always go to Schaefer's and get me fresh fish, uh, fresh shrimp. Uh, well, we catch I it out seafood. here. We catch it ourselves out here in Manchester. You know, we're by the wall. You know, just behind the levee. Um, the, um, the, uh, the, um, He's a city boy. That bayou, yeah, that, uh, uh, the, the, those Bayou, Bayou Saint John doesn't, Saint John just doesn't seem to uh, <laughs> <laughs> enough produce enough fish for me <laughs> or fish that I would uh, eat. So uh, you know, I, I, I run to Schaefer's because those cats have uh, fresh stuff uh, every day, and uh, you know, I like to cook uh, fish. I like to cook uh, shrimp. I love shrimp, and um, you know, whatever is in season makes sense to me. You know, because yeah. things are seasonal and. Uh, if, if it's within season, it's the freshest. That's what I Did like you cook do, with you know. your grandfather when you lived in the French Quarter with him? I didn't cook a whole bunch uh, with him. We always went out to eat at an Italian restaurant, I know that, but he always had a maid by the name of Janie. And Janie was fantastic cook. And Janie, uh, Janie cooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner for us. And uh, so whenever we weren't out, Janie, Janie was, was there. cooking up. Yep. She was around the house all the time. <laughs> She was. Yep. She was. Just to let you know, if you ever go in and uh, to the Italian parades and everything, Fred has a float in his honor of his grandfather. Correct. Yeah, it's called the Galata float, and we sit uh, twelve of our family and best friends on that float, and uh, we have pictures of them, and uh, we have traditions that we do that we toast throughout the parade, Probably honoring too much our wine. grandfather. Uh, we have a lot of wine and uh, a lot of spirits. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, as we parade through the French Quarter, uh, we have a lot of stops and we have a lot of toasts. So it ends up uh, being a, uh, an extremely uh, fun, fun time and a great way to uh, honor our grandfather. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, Fred, if there's anything 
besides we promoted our fettuccine frenzy and everything you want to add anything to our little stories here for our middendorf's customer the dorfers no look i would just uh, say as i had mentioned earlier that uh uh, in New Orleans, the Sazerac House is going to be opening up uh, uh, in early 2019. It's going to be quite a showpiece right on Canal Street. Uh, and so it will be a worldwide um, visiting venue. And I would suggest that uh, you get a chance and you're down uh, downtown New Orleans, stop in. It's free to go look through it. And uh, you'll get a great uh, perspective of the history of New Orleans and uh, its drinks and its cocktail culture. Oh, that's pretty cool. I can't wait to get there, since I'm sure if we mention your name, we get a special treatment. Not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for being here, Fred. And I want to tell our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, you can message us through our Anchor app or email us at chitchatmiddendorfsrestaurant.com. Till then, bon appetit, guten appetit, have a happy Thin Fried Friday.